Praise God. Amen. Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? Amen. There is a Savior, and his name is Jesus, and he wants to come soon to take us home. <laughs> and we are told in John chapter 14 that, uh, that he is preparing a place for us. It's one of those beautiful promises. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again, that where I am there you may be also. And we know that Jesus is faithful. Amen? He knows how to prepare a place for us. He knows exactly what kind of waterbed I will want in heaven, right? <laughs> he knows what kind of, what kind of uh, glassless aquarium that I want in my pad when I go to... No. But Jesus is more than just a carpenter who knows how to prepare a place. He is a high priest who knows how to prepare a people for that place. And I want to be prepared for that. I want to be prepared for that. You know, last week we began a little series on the life of Elijah. We started in 1 Kings chapter 17. We realized that Elijah lived during a time in which it was steeped in idolatry. It was, spiritually speaking, the decline was rapid and rampant. And Elijah was a man who lived by the what? Does anybody remember? lived by the word. Yeah, he was a man who lived by the word because he was a man who listened to the word. It's impossible to live by the word if we're not even taking in the time to open our ears to listen to the word. And Elijah was a man who did just that. How many of you have been uh, actually able to activate or engage in a daily Bible reading plan since we've talked? Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you haven't, it's only 10 days into the new year. It's okay. We can pick it right back up again, okay? The, the truth is that without revelation, the people perish. When we have no vision of what God is up to, when we have no understanding of His Word in our lives, we begin to do things just as it seems good and well-pleasing for us to do ourselves. You remember the stories of the book of Judges? There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this was true of Elijah's day, and I think, sadly to say, it's true in our day, too. Just a few weeks ago, I was actually sitting in a circle of pastors here. Um, our, our Area 8 pastors, we get together about once a month, sometimes more, just to seek God together and to pray. It's a blessing, by the way. It's a blessing to live here. It's a blessing to minister here, too. And so, uh, a few weeks ago, we were praying, and and one of the pastors was just pouring his heart out for a, a member in their congregation. I won't say which congregation, but somewhere nearby, okay? A member in their congregation, a family in their congregation who they were seeking healing for their young child. They were seeking healing for their young child and they had gone through option A, option B, option C, and now they had turned to hypnosis. And as he was pleading for this family and, and asking for wisdom to know how to counsel them, I thought to myself, the, the quick thought that came to myself, God, please teach us how to think biblically. Now, I'm not here to, uh, to talk about the ins and outs of hypnosis, but what I am saying is, look, the Bible lays out pretty clear that it is God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. When we give someone else that will, that's dangerous ground, Right? And so it's true, even within God's people, we have forgotten how to think biblically, let alone live biblically. 
It was true in Elijah's day, and it's true in our day, and I pray that we would be a people who live by the word. And we realized that last week, living by the word starts with listening to the word, right? This week, we're going to find that living by the word is fueled by praying, praying the word. The message this morning is entitled, When Fire Fuels the Rain. When fire fuels the rain, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we want to get into this book, not just as an academic exercise, not just as a weekly routine, but fully believing that you are the living God who actually speaks to us. And if you speak, you're wanting to make yourself known. And if you're wanting to make yourself known, Lord, you want to give us life eternal. So God, as we open up to 1 Kings, Lord, I pray that we would see more than just kings. (laughs) I pray that we would see the King of Kings. That you would speak to us life today. Lord, if we're comfortable, make us uncomfortable. So that we would seek after the Comforter. Father, if we're hurting, I pray that you would speak healing. If we're lost, please give us directions. Thank you that you're the God who speaks. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. 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 Please, take your Bible with me. Turn to the Old Testament book, 1 Kings. 1 Kings, and we're going to chapter 18. Now, if you have a chance to read through all of these little uh, snippets and narratives of, of Elijah's life, do it. Immerse yourself in it, because Elijah lived quite the life. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to kind of skip along from where we were. You know, Elijah appears before King Ahab. Ahab is the king who is even worse than his father Omri, right? And, and, and King Ahab, actually, if you didn't know, King Ahab actually built a temple to the idol Baal right in the capital city of Samaria, okay? Right in the capital city of God's people, he builds a competitor's temple, <laughs> And so Ahab, faced, uh, face-to-face with Elijah, Elijah says, hey, there's no, going to be no rain, no dew, until I say so. Elijah runs to the brook Cherith. He's fed by God himself, by ravens who listen to the word of God. All of this stuff takes place, and eventually, by the time we come to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, this is now fast forward three years later. Three years. The land has not gone without I mean, excuse me, the land has gone without water or dew. Not for three minutes, not for three hours, three months, three years. All right. Verse 1, chapter 18, the Bible says, I'm reading from the New King James. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, that's the king who kind of led the nation even further into idolatry. Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord comes once again, and he gives this powerful promise, I will send rain. And in verse 2, So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. No wonder. Verse 3, And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Oh, so there was someone else who hadn't turned to idols and actually was serving in the court of King Ahab. Verse 4, For so it was, while Jezebel, that's Ahab's wife, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, 
that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. Now, this is kind of a mixture of good news and bad news. First of all, the good news. Not everybody has gone the way of Baal. Praise the Lord. The bad news is that even these faithful have been fearful of being faithful. Obadiah is serving right in the king's court. He could have spoken up, but he hasn't. Do you kind of see the good news and the bad news there? Yeah? So there's a little bit of timidity to actually live by the truth. Now, the other aspect of bad news here is that, whoa, Jezebel just massacred all the prophets of the Lord, all the spokesmen, all the people who would actually hear from God and communicate to the people of God. And again, when you have no revelation, the people perish. Okay? When you have, that's Proverbs 29, verse 18, if you're writing notes. If, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so here, this, there's a full picture of the spiritual chaos. Jezebel's massacre is one event, but really the agenda behind it is simply this. If I get rid of all the spokesmen of Yahweh, that means that there is no Yahweh. So what he's trying to do is he's, or excuse me, what she is trying to do, Jezebel is really simply trying to turn the tables. This is a nation that is supposedly ruled by Yahweh. Well, my husband has just built a temple for my idol Baal in the capital city. So now I will take all the spokesmen of Yahweh, replace them with spokesmen for Baal, and you see her political and spiritual agenda here, right? She's really trying to dethrone the Lord. She's trying to dethrone the Lord. And has she been successful? Apparently. Apparently. Apparently enough so that Obadiah, who actually fears the Lord, is fearful of Jezebel's agenda. And so as as Obadiah actually goes with King Ahab, the the story goes, if you read the the rest of the verses, just kind of scan through, Ahab and Obadiah say, okay, we're going to go look for some place that has grass, some place that has water. This drought is so severe. And as they're searching around, Obadiah comes across Elijah. Elijah who has been hiding. Elijah, the one that that the king has trying to be searching for here and there and everywhere. Elijah tells Obadiah, okay, get your king, get Ahab. I've got a word for him. Obadiah kind of hesitates because he's not quite sure if Elijah's going to disappear from one moment to the next, okay? And Ahab eventually comes, and in verse, I believe it's verse 17. Skip on down to verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Ahab, after three years, hasn't gotten the idea. (laughs) Or if he has, he's afraid to fess up to it. And in verse 18, Elijah answers, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, Elijah is a man who lives by the word, and he's not afraid to speak the word. And in verse 19, he says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Apparently, these prophets, these false spokesmen and women had been feeding at the king's court. And Elijah is essentially calling a contest. It's a showdown. Come on down to Mount Carmel. Not just those prophets, but all Israel. Okay? And so here's Elijah. What we have seen previously in verse 1 is that God spoke to Elijah. God told Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain. And now Elijah is 
presenting himself to Ahab. And what's Elijah doing? He's picking a fight. <laughs> and I've, I've asked myself, what? Elijah just, his instruction was just go show yourself and God would send rain. And Elijah is here almost instigating a showdown. And I've asked myself, is Elijah overreaching? Is this contest really necessary? If you, if you understand what happens in the story thereafter, Elijah calls a, a contest in which God will prove himself as the true God or Baal will prove himself as the true God. Elijah is setting something up. He's picking a fight. And I've thought to myself, Elijah, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> you just had this simple word, go show yourself, and then the rain would come. Couldn't it be just that simple? Here's the thing. You remember who Baal is in the ideology of, of the people? He's the storm god. Baal is the storm god, the one who is responsible for rain and fertility of the land. And so for a people who have been steeped in this idolatry for, for years and generations, for them to see rain, they would be quick to say, oh, thank you, Baal. So what Elijah feels the need to do is to make sure that they understand that when the rain comes, they know who the true God is. Okay? So he sets up this contest, and we read all about it, starting in verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, verse 21. Oh, this is such a pointed question. This is how the New King James says it. Maybe your Bible says it differently. The question is, how long will you falter between two opinions? Maybe your question goes something like this. How long will you limp between two ideas? The idea is that they're going back and forth. They're fence riding because one leg is shorter than the other and they just can't stand still on one side. They're called Israel. That means those who, who, who reign with God and prevail. They're called by God's name, yet they don't follow God himself. How long do you, do you go back and forth between these two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, how much? Nothing, right? Not a word. Verse 22, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Now, here are the terms of this contest. He's kind of drawing a line in the sand. He's like, all right, this is what we're here to do. Verse 23, Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. Verse 24, Then you call on the name of your gods, I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by what? Fire. By fire, he is God. Do you understand the contest so far? Yeah. Right? Put a sacrifice here, I'll put a sacrifice here. No fire there, no fire here. You call there, I'll call here. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Okay? He is God. The people answered and said, ah, it is well spoken. Great idea. Okay? Now here, Elijah's setting up this contest. He wants people to understand who the rain is coming from. So before Elijah prays for rain, he prays for fire. 
Before Elijah prays for rain, he prays for fire. Now understand, remember, what's motivating this contest? In verse 21, the simple pointed question that the people could not answer to was, how long will you falter between two opinions? Right? The motivation for this whole thing is that God's people would repent of their divided loyalty. The very reason for the drought of rain in the first place. So when he's praying for fire, he's praying for repentance. Follow this with me. This is huge. When Elijah prays for fire, he prays for repentance. He's praying for true loyalty, an undivided heart. A loyalty that will not just be in word, but also in deed, that they will actually not just, not, uh, not just uh, uh, hear the words of God, but do the words of God. That they would live by the word. That their lives would demonstrate that, they, that the Lord, he is God. And so, before he prays for rain, he prays for fire. I'll say it like this. Before he prays for rain, he prays for repentance. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a, in a little while. But I hope we understand this. Because sometimes we, we feel a drought. We feel like something is missing. We feel like we need this blessing or that blessing. And we pray for that blessing. We pray that God would satisfy this and satisfy that. That he would restore this and restore that. That this drought would end. But maybe first we need to pray for fire. For repentance and true loyalty. Because all the while, that the thing that causes the drought is that we're limping between two opinions. That's why 2 Chronicles 7.14, when Solomon is kneeling before the Lord, he's praying this prayer at the dedication of the temple of God. He's praying for those times in which his people eventually may, may go after other gods. And then he says, and if my people who are called by my name God's response to Solomon's prayer, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God wants to heal our land. God wants to send rain. But it's conditional upon us seeking him with a whole heart. Do we understand that today? That before, before we pray for rain, we ought to pray for fire. That before we pray for rain, we ought to pray for repentance and true loyalty to God. And so, this contest, it's on. Elijah sets the terms. He gives the majority, uh, the, the, you know, the 450 uh, prophets of, of Baal, he gives them the honor of starting off. And so it's morning time when they get things started. All the children of Israel, as many as could gather, are there on the mountain. Some are in the valley because this mountain summit is, is pretty visible. They, they can hear things. They can see things. And so the contest is on. Starts in the early morning. And in verses 25 to 29, this contest gets crazy. <laughs> this contest gets crazy. In verse 26, it says, So they took the bull which was given them, they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon. All right, sometimes people who pray to false gods are more faithful in their prayers than we are. <laughs> they pray from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, 
hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. See how pointed this narrative is? There was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah, okay, Elijah kind of goes over the top here. He starts taunting a little bit, hustling, all right, heckling. Hey, maybe your God is sleeping. Set his alarm louder. Hey, maybe, maybe he's gone to relieve himself. You might need to come back in a few minutes. He gets a little bit <clears throat> bold. <laughs> and it goes in verse 28, so they cried aloud. And notice how ugly this gets. They cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Now, in a moment, I want to talk about true fervent prayer, but I think we need to see the contrast to a frenzy. This is not true prayer, friends. When we approach deity, when we approach God, as though we are calling demands upon him. Hear me! That is not fervent prayer. When we approach God, shedding our own blood, saying, look at what I've done, that is not fervent prayer. I'm reminded of that parable between, uh, that Jesus told, that there's a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee is praying really to himself and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that other man. That I do this, that I do that. That I don't do this, that I don't do that. Look at me. Look at my blood. And yet the tax collector simply says, Oh Lord, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. And the man who went home justified was not the man who justified himself with his own blood, but the man who called upon the blood of Jesus. Amen. There's a difference between true and false prayer. And this picture is so, it's pointed. The attempt of the prophets of Baal is foolish, it's frenzied, it's futile. And in verse 29 it says, And when midday passed, they prophesied until the time of the evening sacrifice. So they went from morning till evening. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. What an apt description of all of our idolatrous wandering. But Elijah steps in, and in verse 30, begins a true picture of what it is to approach God in prayer, what it is to pray for fire. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. You can see that at this uh, day-long uh, uh, sideshow, okay, the people have kind of drawn back, and they're like, I, I, I don't want that stuff on me, <laughs> you know. And so Elijah said, hey, come, come close, come close. You don't have to be afraid of what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do. And in verse 30, all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. If you're writing notes, these are the steps, these are the actions. First, he repairs the altar of the Lord. That altar was made of 12 stones, that altar was made of 12 stones, it says in verse 31, And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. In other words, he was repairing their identity as God's people. 
And this is what happens when we wander after other gods. We forget who we are. Our altars break down and they are in need of repair. So Elijah repairs the altar, a reminder of God's covenant, a reminder that we belong to him and he belongs to us. In verse 32, then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seras of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Now they're on top of a mountain. It's been a drought for three years. Where they got this water? Probably from the Mediterranean Sea, just at the bottom. <laughs> so there's some trekking up and down, up and down. And they fill four water pots. They drench this. They soak the sacrifice. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. They soak the sacrifice. So steps that Elijah is taking. One, he repairs the altar, calls people to remember their identity in God. And then he soaks the sacrifice. No trickery involved. I'm not, I, I don't have my, uh, my, uh, my, my lighter here, okay? I'm not trying to spark anything of my own. He removes all pretense. Completely sincere. And in verse 36 and 37, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the what? Evening sacrifice. That's significant. That Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Ah, just let this, let this mental picture just kind of draw out in vivid lines in your mind. There's so much difference between all the events of that whole day where the 450 prophets are jumping around, cutting themselves, calling out, crying out, and here's this one man, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And that's a different prayer than the prophets of Baal prayed. Hear me, hear me, here's my blood. No, 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 no. Hear me, O Lord, that they may know that you, that you are the Lord God. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Again, he's praying for fire, but what he's really praying for is heart repentance. Heart repentance. And all of this is at the time of the evening sacrifice. So he repairs the altar. He rebuilds their identity, causes them to remember who they are. He soaks the sacrifice, removes all pretense. It's all sincere. And all of this is taking place at the time of the evening sacrifice. At the time of the evening sacrifice, that was supposed to call to remembrance their ritual rhythm back when true worship actually happened. When at the temple, there would be a burnt offering that represented not their merit, but the merits of someone else. All of this at a time in which they are looking to the righteousness not of their works, but of the works of someone else. And they're, they're called to remember that their acceptance with God is not by their might, but by the mercy of Jesus. So how do we pray for fire? We do it just like Elijah. Repair the altar. 
Remember that you are God's child and that he is your father. Remember your true identity. That's why I think it's so powerful that the Lord's Prayer, so simple, starts out with two words. Our Father. When we pray with the assurance that God is our Father, we also pray with the humility that I am his child. When we remember who we are and who we're not, we're able to remember who God is. So repair the altar. Remember who we are. The second thing is soak the sacrifice. Remove all pretense. Pretense is another word for pretending. You're not all that. <laughs> Stop acting like you are. Stop showing your blood. Because even all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64 verse 6. So soak the sacrifice. Remove all pretense. And do this at the time of the evening sacrifice. In other words, look to Jesus as your righteousness. <laughs> that when you pray for repentance, you're not praying for your own righteousness. You're praying for the righteousness of Christ to be clothing you. That's how we pray for fire. Look to Jesus. Look to his righteousness. And the story goes... That as Elijah prayed this prayer in verse 38, the Bible says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. <gasps> now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God powerful picture they finally get it and it's repentance that is concrete elijah actually demands that they follow through with this look if the lord is god then those who are calling to another god they're calling to a false to a false god and so those spokesmen of baal those spokesmen of the other gods they are seized they are done away with and when repentance is realized, then the rain will come. Elijah knows this, right? This was what he heard in verse 1. Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain. Oh, the repentance is real. Elijah sees this firsthand. He's got a front row seat to the miracles of God. Fire from heaven. He prayed for rain. Excuse me. He prayed for fire and now he can pray for rain. And in verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, All right, get on up. Go up. Eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Now, had Elijah heard anything at that point? Yes or no? No. But he's speaking by faith, and he's telling Elijah, get you to your house, because the rain's going to stop you if you stick around. And in verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, then he bowed on the ground and put his face between his knees. What's Elijah doing here? He's praying. He's praying, and he's praying intently, intensely, with deep humility. Praying with his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. What's he looking for? What's he looking for? He's looking for some storm clouds. So here's Elijah praying with his face between his knees, he knows what God has promised, and he doesn't just kind of walk off and say, thanks, Jesus. 
No, he knows the promise of the Lord, and now he's praying the promise of the Lord. Okay, now, now we're transitioning here. We're talking about a little bit about true prayer and how we pray for fire before we pray for rain. But then when we pray for rain, we pray for the promise of God. And in verse 43, he said to the servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. In other words, this took a while. Elijah knew what God had promised, but he was persistent in his prayers. He knew what God had promised and he didn't just presume No, he prayed. He knew what God had promised, and he prayed the promise. And even when he didn't see tangible results, he continued to pray, continued to pray, continued to... Can any of us learn from this example? Yeah, 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 yeah. God, you've promised goodness. You've promised that that those who who follow you shall not uh, lack any good thing. God, where's the cloud? (laughs) Forget this prayer thing. Elijah, face to his knees, once, twice, seven times through. This happens, verse 44, then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. Not the greatest token in the world, but it will do. (laughs) Apparently for Elijah, that was enough. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds. Oh, God turned that that small token into tangible evidence that everybody could notice. Black clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away, went to Jezreel. Jezreel was the winter capital of Israel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Wow, I don't know what he had to eat for breakfast that morning. Maybe it was some Wheaties or something like that. But God just, and Ahab is able to accompany the king. Now this is huge. This isn't the main point of what we're talking about, but Elijah doesn't feel so lofty that he says to this king who's been wayward and wandering and probably didn't himself say the Lord is God. But Elijah doesn't see himself so cocky as to say, all right, good luck, have a nice life, king. But he accompanies him. He gives him the word of the Lord still. He goes with him all the way to his capital. Here is Elijah, and he prays effectual, fervent prayer. There's a text that we referred to last time, and in closing, I want us to go there. It's in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5 is in the New Testament. And in this practical letter of practical Christianity, James, near the end of his letter, he starts talking about prayer. And I'll tell you that sometimes prayer, to the pragmatist, To the person that likes to see things done and get things done, prayer seems like the last thing that is effective. But here at the end of this letter, James says, no, 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 no. We need to pray. And in verse 16, in the midst of other counsel about how to interact with one another when you have this situation or that situation, pray, pray, pray. And in verse 16, James chapter 5, verse 16, if you're there, say, I'm there. All right? Almost? All right. James chapter 5, verse 16. 
He says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. That's actually really practical too. (laughs) Sometimes we're unwilling to pray for one another because we feel like we're at fault with one another or they have fault with us. Friends, it's time to let go of that. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sometimes we wish for healing, but we're not willing to pay the price for that. And at the end of verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And with this picture of effective, fervent prayer that avails much, That word there for avail is accomplish as much, it's strong to do much, it's robust. (laughs) In some contexts, it's translated as combative. It it actually fights a fight. Effective, fervent prayer that accomplishes much. And then in verse 17, there's an example of a man who prayed like that. Who was it? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Well, he's just like one of us. That means you and I can pray effective, fervent prayers that avail much. He was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now I know I'm going long, but this is, this is huge. <laughs> Do we know how much depends on prayer? God was willing to send the rain He promised he would send the rain, yet Elijah prayed for it. Why? God already promised it. It's going to happen. Or would it? See, Elijah understood something, that when God promises something, it's an invitation to pray for that promise. God may have sovereign will over all things, but if we don't give him permission to, he's not going to step out of his character and not be a gentleman. When God promises something, it's an invitation to pray. Elijah understood that. And so that was effective, fervent prayer that availed much, that was so robust that it actually caused the heavens to open up. I wonder if we understand how much depends upon the prayers of God's people. Because if we truly understood, then I think we would pray. Not just talk about prayer. Not just put prayer at the beginning of a meal or the beginning of a program, but that we would pray effectively, fervently, even agonizingly. Someone shared a a statement with me that was written back in 1896, long, long time ago. It goes something like this. The greatest blessing that God can give to man is the spirit of earnest prayer. Well, I think 10 million bucks would be a good blessing. (laughs) The greatest blessing that God could ever give us is a spirit of earnest prayer. I wonder how many of us know that great blessing. That great blessing of being able to earnestly pray. Now notice it said earnest prayer, not eloquent prayer. Sometimes we feel, I can't go to prayer. I I don't even know that. Look, friend, 
God is not looking for eloquent prayer. He's looking for earnest prayer. Amen. Amen. <laughs> He's not looking for fancy prayer. He's looking for fervent prayer. <laughs> and so maybe you don't feel like you have deep theological undergirdings behind your prayer to motivate your prayer, to inspire other people to say amen when you pray. Hey, hey, hey. Your audience in prayer is God. Can we pray? Can we pray? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll heal their land, forgive their sin. You're experiencing a drought. You're experiencing a drought. You want to pray for rain, but first pray for fire. <laughs> you want to pray for rain, but first pray for fire. In other words, pray for repentance, that God would give you an undivided loyalty toward him. That even if that rain doesn't come, you'd be satisfied because your loyalty is his and he is yours. Isn't that enough? So when we pray for fire, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, that is good enough for me. But God is so good that he wants to give you a rain too. So friends, the practical takeaway, pray, pray, and pray. And when you pray for rain, pray first for fire. Pray first for fire. Sometimes we think, I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know what to ask for. I feel like I'm asking for the same thing. You know what? Elijah did something that I think we can take away too. He understood the promise of God, and he prayed for the promise of God. If you want effective, fervent prayer, and you're not sure if well, should I pray passionately about this because I'm not sure if God really wants this? Well, take what God has promised and pray passionately for that. God has said, I delight in the death of no one. I long for all to come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3. We can pray for people to turn to God. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is that a good thing or not? <laughs> In Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am their God and they are my people, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. We have loved ones and family and friends. We can pray for their return to God. That's a promise. I'm going to pray that. I'm not just going to presume, oh, God will do it. In his you know what? Elijah could have done the same. <laughs> but he prayed it. He prayed the promise. And he prayed with persistence. So your practical takeaways today, you want to pray for rain? Pray for fire first. Pray for repentance first. You want to know how to pray effectually, fervently, that avails much? Start with the promises of God and pray those promises. Amen? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> My token amener. Awesome. No. So hey, we're at the beginning of a new year. Listen to God's word and pray the word. That's what we're starting out with this year. Listen to God's word and pray the word so that we can live by the word. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you that you are the God who knows all of our needs even before we ask them. And so when we come to you in prayer, it's not like you're surprised that we're praying for this or for that. But Lord, I pray that you would give us such a faith and confidence in you that it actually does surprise you. 
that when we come and gather, whether it's just in the secret, me and you, or when we come and, and we, we, we unite with others in prayer, Lord, that you would give us fervent prayer that avails much. I pray that you would teach us how to pray both for rain and for fire. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to pray the promises of God. As we immerse ourselves in your word day by day, Lord, give us things that we can pray for. Give us a sense of what your desire is, of what your will is, of what your character is, that we could pray those things to be true in our lives and those around us. God, please, we want to be people who live by the word. And so make us people who listen to the word and pray the word. In Jesus' name, amen.